Well, one of the favorite things that my kids do is find video games that I hate and ask me to play them with them. Uh, and it, this has become a game in our house. They try to find the, the worst games they could possibly find that I hate. And the problem is, I'm the fool that buys them for them originally, and then I'm forced to have to play them with them. A few years ago, we were moving into our house, and I thought, how can I keep them entertained and busy and out of the way? I'll get them a game. And so I went back to, to when I was growing up and playing video games, and I, I got them Crash Bandicoot, and they played it for about 10 minutes, and they hated it. And I thought, all right. Well, they rediscovered it a couple years later. And the problem is, I'm not nearly as good at Crash Bandicoot today as I was 20-some years ago. And this is entertaining for them to watch me struggle. And they just, they mock me and they ridicule me. And I don't know why. I'm such a kind, gentle father. Uh, but but this, is, this is entertainment for them. And they, they love to do this. And so they asked me one night. He's, my, my oldest son asked me one night. He said, Dad... Can we play video games tonight? And I'm like, I don't think tonight. And then he just kind of looked at me and the dad guilt set in. And then I went up and I'm like, okay, I'll give you like, I got like 10 minutes. I've got some other things I really need to do. Two hours later, I'm still stuck on the one level of Crash Bandicoot that I can't get past. And he's just having a great time. Well, fast forward to the next day. He gets up in the morning. He says, hey, can we play Crash Bandicoot tonight? I said, absolutely. We'll, we'll play tonight. Fast forward. Some things came up during the course of the day, and I wasn't able to play the game with him like I thought I would be able to. And I, I made it home, and I'm, I'm tucking him in at night. And he looks at me, and he says, hey, Dad. I liked him more yesterday when you told me you couldn't play and you did play than I did today. So do you think maybe tomorrow you could tell me you can't play video games with me? <laughs> I mean, if he's got a career in sales, he's going to be good. He's going to be good because I was like, I will delete everything off my calendar after today's epic fail as a father, after I told you I would do something. And if you've ever been there, you've ever been in that circumstance, you know that tension, you know what that's like. And Jesus used this idea to his advantage as he told a story. It's something we all understand in life. There are times in our lives we've said, absolutely not, I, I'm not going to do something, I can't do something. And then we go on and we do it. It talk to any teenager before they start dating. And then as soon as they get, as soon as they get the opportunity to date the person of their dreams, all of the rules that they had are out the window. And they don't care whether or not they're going to be made fun of by their friends. They will do all kinds. Introduce every first-time parent. When you look at your friends or your family that have had children before you have kids, and you're like, I'm never doing that. Look, like you have, you have all the expertise because you, you've never been there. And then as soon as, as soon as you have the baby, you are up at 3 o'clock in the morning singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, and dancing around, whatever it is you, you said I'm not going to do. You find yourself doing it. And on the flip side, there are, all things, there are things that we have all said, hey, I'm going to do this, and then we don't. And this morning, we're going to see the spiritual implications of this as well. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning in the Bible app. It is a phenomenal resource. It's free. It's in the app store of your choosing, and it has a number of fantastic features. It has literally tens of thousands of different reading plans, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, whether connecting with Scripture, connecting with God through His Word, 
is a brand new concept to you, and you just need to start at the very basic level of just building up a discipline, just engaging with it for the very first time, there's a way that the Bible app will just automatically send a verse to your device just to get you in that routine. And then as you interact with Scripture, as you recognize this is opening up my eyes and opening up my heart to different things, there are plans that will take a couple minutes a day, all the plans that will take you through the Bible in a year to, to three months, you name it, it's available there, and it's all free. Hundreds of translations are available there. And one of the features available within the Bible app is a feature that we use here every single week called Events. And that enables you to follow along with us. So once you've installed it on your device, if you will enable your locations or type in zip code 54201 there, Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can take notes. You can highlight verses. Just a great resource. If you prefer to have a traditional Bible with you, hey, we're glad about that too. We're going to be in the New Testament book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew today, starting in chapter 21, verse 28 this morning is where we will be as we look at Jesus telling another story making it relatable to people, talking about this idea of people that say they're not going to do something, who do something, and people who say they are going to do something, who don't. In Matthew 21, starting in verse 28, we read these words that Jesus said. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. So Jesus starts right here with the story. There are two sons. The father goes, he goes to the son, and he says, hey, go work, go work. Every parent understands this dynamic. Every kid growing up understands this dynamic, whether it's the direct conversation, whether it's the to-do list that's out for you when you get home before your parents from work, and there you see, all right, this is what I have to do. Maybe it's a text message that you get that you try to pretend for a really long time you don't see, but then you're like, I need money or something else, and then you've got to acknowledge that you've seen it when you text your parents back. Whatever it is, here Jesus tells the story, and he tells of a father who looks at his son, and he says, hey, Go. Go work the vineyard. You need to do something today. You need to put in the work. Go and work the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. Now, initially, he's like, I don't want to work in the vineyard. It's not my thing. I'm not feeling it today. I just don't want to. Like, that's where he is. I'm not going to do this. There's a little bit of rebellion. There's a little bit of refusal there. It's all meshed up in one response. The father says, hey, go to work. The son says, no, I'm not going to. But then he softens his stance, and he goes and he does the work. So the initial response is one of rebellion and refusal, but then there's a heart change, and there's this idea, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to change my stance and I'm going to go do it. And I just want to stop right here and, and look at the dynamics of this. And first, I just want to encourage you. In life, it's important to process things. It's important to process things. And so we're going to have a lot of information. We're going to have a lot of requests thrown our way. And especially in the society in which we live, we feel like we have to give an instant answer. We have to respond instantaneously. And I just want to invite you to take your time to process through decisions, process through choices, process, th process through things. It, w it probably would have been better if the son was like, hey, dad, give me a minute here. But this is, again, just a story. But we realize there are real-life implications and real-life lessons that we can take from these stories that Jesus told us. 
And I, I think one of the things that we, we can all do is to process through things and not feel like we have to respond instantaneously to an invitation, respond instantaneously to a remark or a comment that people make. And oftentimes, if we will just step back and take a minute to process things, we will make better choices, we will make better decisions, we will say fewer things that we regret, we will say fewer things that are hurtful if we will just stop and process through things. And, and I think another implication that we have to take from this is it's important to give people a chance to change. It's important to give people a chance to change, to not fly off the handle, to not decide, all right, you are defined by this one response or anything else. And Jesus goes on in his story. And he went to the other son. Father went to the other son and said the same. And this son answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Now, the other son, the second son, he gives the answer that the father's looking for. He gives the answer verbally that the father's looking for. For, for all of you who are growing up and, and you live in your parents' house right now, let me help you. When your parents come to you and they're like, hey, do this, the answer they're looking for is not, nah, I'm good. I don't feel like it. I mean, do what you want. I can't make your life choices for you, and I can't make your decisions for you. But generally, that's not going to go over nearly as well as if you're like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Just, you know, take that for what it's worth. But the other son gives the answer that the father's looking for. But, but, lacked the action to follow through. And this is the dynamic that we all understand in life when we've been disappointed by someone who's told us something. And so we have that initial assurance of their word, that they've made a commitment, that they've, they've told us, hey, this is what I'm going to do, and then they fail to follow through. And Jesus is capitalizing on that feeling that every single one of us has felt because every single one of us has been disappointed by people. Every single one of us has disappointed people, but we've also been disappointed by people. And Jesus is playing on this feeling. He's playing on this understanding that is universal across the spectrum that all people have and all people have experienced in telling this story. And the reality is the action of the second son reveals the real answer. The action of the first son reveals the real answer. The action of our lives reveals the real answer. The first son said, I'm not going to do that. And then he goes and does what the father asked. The second son says, absolutely, dad, whatever you need. I got this. I'm going to follow through, and fails to do so. Their actions revealed the real answer, and the actions of our lives reveal our real answers. Talk is cheap. Talk is easy. But we have to put action behind the words we speak. Our actions will reveal our real answers, just as they did here. And the reality of this in the spiritual realm is that God calls us to honor him. 
He calls us to honor him with the words that we speak. He calls us to honor him with the praise that we would heap upon him. But he calls us to honor him also with the actions of our lives. God is concerned about the lives that we live. And the actions of our lives reveal the real answer about us spiritually. Jesus goes on. And he says this in the first part of verse 31. Which of the two did the will of the Father? Jesus is just acting like a prosecutor here. He's building his case. Which of the two sons did the will of his father? The first that said in rebellion and refusal, I'm not doing that. Or the second that said, absolutely, Dad, I'll go do that and does nothing to follow through. And then we see their response as verse 31 continues. They said the first. This answer is obvious to us. Every single one of us knows this answer. This isn't a hard problem. We all understand this concept. We all understand this answer, that talk is cheap. Action is what ultimately matters. Put the action behind it. And then Jesus says this, in the last part of verse 31. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes Go into the kingdom of God before you. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And Jesus hits them with a truth that they didn't see coming. They didn't see it coming at all. The tax collectors, the most hated people in the region. They basically had the backing of the government to steal from people. There was a certain percentage of money that they had to collect and send to the governor. But they could come up to you and demand pretty much whatever they wanted. And any portion over and above what they had to send to the government, they got to keep. They were incredibly wealthy but they had the backing of the government to rob people and steal from them. They were hated. They were despised because of their actions, because of what they did. And Jesus here tells the audience, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, belongs to people who would rob you. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the people that you hate. kingdom of heaven belongs to the prostitutes, the people that you would marginalize, the people that everybody would talk badly about, the people that everybody else would want to stay away from, the people that, that wouldn't be treated as human beings, but would be treated like a transaction to fulfill a desire or a fantasy and then cast aside. Jesus says, those who are marginalized, those that you would look at and you would dismiss, those you would so easily discard, those are the ones that heaven belongs to. And here's the crowd. 
God doesn't want us to pretend to have it all together. God doesn't want us to pretend to have it all together. It's not about putting on a show. It's not about just the words that we speak. God cares about our hearts. He cares about our actions. He cares about who we authentically are. And sometimes in, in, in churches and sometimes when, when we're following Jesus, it feels like we have to put on a show. It feels like we have to present ourselves in a certain way and that if we will only present ourselves in a certain way, that, that we'll look better to one another and we'll look better to God. And what Jesus says here when he talks about the kingdom of heaven belonging to the tax collectors and the kingdom of heaven belonging to the prostitutes is that you don't have to pretend to have it all together to come to God. That God sees through that anyway. God cares about the actual condition of our hearts. Not just about the words that we say. Not just about what we will speak. Not just about platitudes that we say to make ourselves feel better or look better. But God cares about who we are authentically to our core. Every single part of us. That's what God cares about. And let's just be blunt. There are some, of, some of you have a past that you're not proud of. Some of you have a past that you're not proud of. You've made choices and you've made decisions that you have tried to outrun and outrun and outrun, but it, you can't. And you never seem to be able to shake free. And they come back to seemingly haunt you time and time again. And every time you think you've shaken free, there's a reminder of the choices that you regret and the decisions you wish you didn't make. You've wondered, is a relationship with Jesus for me? Maybe you've walked into a church and been rejected. Maybe you've been marginalized because of the choices that you've made, because everybody knows your story. You've thought, what's the use? What's the point? The kingdom of heaven belongs to the marginalized. It belongs to those that everybody else doesn't want to love, that everybody else would write off, that nobody else wants to affiliate themselves with. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. See, this is, this is the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is this, that he came. He came because he loves you. That God loves us just as we are. But he doesn't want us to stay that way. That we can't impress God. God sees us authentically. He sees every mistake, every choice that we've made. All of our failures, all of our flaws. God sees those all on full display. And he loves us in spite of those things. But a relationship with God just doesn't give us license to stay in our mess. It doesn't give us license just to be broken and just to get say, well, I'm broken, but God still loves me anyway. God does still love you anyway. 
But the whole point is that God wants to come and he wants to take your brokenness and put you back together into something more beautiful than you can even imagine. You don't get to walk around saying, I'm still broken and wear it like a badge of honor. And right now, in our society, we have no shortage of people that want to celebrate their brokenness, but do nothing about fixing it. And the call of Jesus is that he loves us enough to see us in our mess. He loves us enough to see us in our mistakes. But the, for the love of God, we don't stay there. As we follow him, we are compelled to be changed, to make a difference. And this is the distinction that Jesus is offering. This is why the kingdom of heaven belongs to the tax collectors and belongs to the prostitutes. Not because Jesus just loves the people that everybody else hates. Not because Jesus just loves the unpopular. Not just because Jesus loves the marginalized. Not just because Jesus loves the people with deep hurts in their past. Jesus loves all people and he calls all people unto himself. But the point that Jesus is telling the crowd here is the tax collectors and the prostitutes. They were the ones who responded to the message. You still think you're good enough that you don't need me. You still think you've got it all together. Unless you realize that you need me. You can't have a relationship with me. And this is why it is so vital that we have a healthy self-image. Yes, that we recognize we are created by God in his image as all people are. But we celebrate that fact while simultaneously recognize that there is still a problem within us. And we still, as incredibly made as we all are, have a need for a Savior. The marginalized and the maligned understood that message, and they received that message. But Jesus concludes verse 32 this way, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. He says you wouldn't receive the message that John came. And he proclaimed the truth to you, but you would not receive that message. I was in jail one night, not because of any choices that I'd made, uh, but because they'd invited us in to do some church services. And I, I went in, it was my first time doing a church service in a jail. And I went in and talked about the hope of Jesus. 
worshipped with the inmates and, and shared with them the love of God. And I watched as, as a number of them participated and some of them were just happy to be out of their cell. And on the ride home, I, I was thinking about the people that I'd had the privilege of encountering that night. And I don't say that flippantly. In the church I was working at the time, I wondered, how many of them, when they're released, would be welcome here? I mean, every church, right? Every church says, hey, everyone's welcome. I mean, I guess not every church. There are the few crazy exceptions. But pretty much every church that actually loves Jesus and, and honors Scripture, pretty much every church is like, hey, we want people to be here. Even in the midst of your mess, we want you to be here. But I've encountered some that don't really believe that. And I, I couldn't shake that feeling. And I, I went home and I sat down on the couch and I fell asleep. And it wasn't like one of those great dad naps that I take now on a chair where you sleep for about 10 minutes and then you wake up and you got another two and a half to three hours to go after you get that little 10 minute nap out of the way. This was one I slept too hard and I woke up and it was like 1.30 in the morning and then I was wide awake. I was like, well, Taco Bell's open, but no, that's probably not the best idea. And this was before the internet. Uh, so I, I couldn't just kill time reading articles. I had a had TV, had my TV on and I didn't have cable at the time. I was trying to save some money. So I had just a few channels, and it was all infomercials that I'd already seen, because uh, we talked a few weeks ago how, I, like, infomercials, I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, but then I'm flipping through, and I hit PBS. I'm like, I never stop on PBS, and then I hit the other button. And I had six channels. Two of them were different PBS stations. <laughs> and I stopped, and it was a Bruce Springsteen concert. Unashamedly, I have admitted I love Bon Jovi. I've seen them live over 10 times. My wife worries about me a little bit, but, you know, so I'm like, all right, Bruce is from Jersey. I got nothing else to do. I'm wide awake. Let's see what this is all about. And it was a concert that he had filmed, I believe, from Madison Square Garden. And he's singing a song called The Land of Hopes and Dreams. As he's singing the song, so grab your ticket and your suitcase. Thunder's rolling down the tracks. You don't know where it's going, but you know you can't be. You know you can't come back. Darling, if you're weary, lay your head upon my chest. We'll take what we can carry, and we'll lead the rest. We'll big wheels roll through fields where sunlight streams. Meet me in the land of hopes and dreams. And as he gets to the bridge, he says, this train carries saints and sinners. This train carries losers and winners. This train carries whores and gamblers. This train carries lost souls. This train, dreams will not be thwarted. This train, faith will be rewarded. This train carries fools and carries kings. This train, all aboard. 
And it's something like 1.45 in the morning in my condo as I'm watching PBS. I'm just flashing back to where I was a number of hours ago in prison. And I said, God, if I ever have the chance to lead a church, I want this to be our rallying cry. I don't know if Bruce Springsteen understands the gospel, but there he was singing it. There he was singing it. That as we follow Jesus, we must be a place where we work to see Jesus change sinners into saints. And we say, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. For the winners, you are welcome here. When life is going well, when your dreams are fulfilled, when everything is operating as you ever hoped it could, we are glad you're here. Come, join us, and follow Jesus. And when you are losing, and you are down and out, and it seems like no one is there for you, and it seems like no one cares about you, come and follow Jesus. You are welcome here. For the whores and gamblers, for people that have made choices in their lives that they regret, and decisions that have made you marginalized, decisions that have brought you to the breaking point, decisions where you find yourself down and out, we would say to you, you are welcome here. Where lost souls can come in, and for the love of God, not stay that way but be introduced to a saving relationship with a Savior who loves you, who gave his life for you, rose again three days later, looks at you and says, I love you as you are. I love you as you're broken. But you don't have to stay that way. I want to change you. I want to make you. For the brokenhearted that we come alongside of you and we help you along in your journey. No matter where you are, no matter what your story is, that this would be the place. We welcome you. And we love you. And we will love you enough to speak the truth into your life and to walk alongside of you. And maybe nobody else will. But here we will be, because that is what God calls us to be. You may not have it all together. God still loves you. And Jesus wants an authentic relationship with you. And that authentic relationship compels us not just to say the right words, but it compels us to live our lives in a way that honors and glorifies Him. God, I pray that we would be people that would follow You. I pray that Lakeside would be a place that we love everyone that we encounter. That for the marginalized and the maligned, we would say, welcome. You matter to us because you matter to God. 
that for those who are experiencing success and all their hopes and all their dreams being fulfilled, that we would walk alongside of them and celebrate with them. Helping them too grow closer to you in the process. God, I pray especially for those right now who are experiencing those periods of time of success. And Lord, so frequently we see throughout Scripture that your people, they struggled with maintaining their relationship with you during times of blessing. And so I pray especially for those who are experiencing your blessing right now. they would be reminded of their dependency upon you, God, and that they would honor you in their season of blessing. God, you would continue to bless them. I pray for those who are barely holding on, who are struggling. Lord, I pray that they would recognize the fact that they are loved and they are valued by you first and foremost. And God, I pray that we would give them opportunities for authentic community here. People could walk alongside of them and encourage them and support them. God, let this be the place that you want it to be. Where we welcome the saints to celebrate a saving relationship they've already experienced. And we welcome the sinners with the message they need the hope of Jesus. God, work through us, we ask, for your glory and the furthering of your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.